Yellen sends one to right center and deep. Get up! Get up! Get out of here and go! For Yellen! He has tied the game with a booming home run. He got it all. Tied up 4-4 on a big home run. What's going on, Ball and Glove, Love and Brewer fans? Welcome to the Brewers Trilogy Podcast, presented by the Wisconsin Sports Trilogy. I am your host, Tyler. You can find me on Twitter, at Tyler Kurth, or read my articles by following or viewing the brew on Twitter. You can also follow the podcast on Twitter, at Trilogy underscore pod, or follow on Facebook by searching Wisconsin Sports Trilogy. Joining me, as always, is my cheesehead loving buddy, Trevor. He is the host of the Packers Trilogy Podcast and can be found on Twitter at Bender underscore Trevor. Trevor, how are you doing today? Um, I'm doing pretty well. I am haven't got the nerves of the Packer game yet. Um, so overall, I think I'm doing pretty well. It's been a fairly relaxing weekend for me, um, but I did get a lot done. I got two home brews fermenting right now. So I'm excited for those to be done because that's like, Give or take about a hundred bottles of beer that is going to be at my house in keg form, but there's going to be plenty of beer here that I am excited to try, um, and I know one of them that you're going to love, Tyler. Yeah, I'm excited for that IPA that you cooked up this weekend. I mean, I think it's even hilarious that you said I'm going to hate it, but I know you'll like it, so I appreciate <laughs> that. <laughs> yeah, and the reason I made it is because actually my girlfriend's brother help my girlfriend get the freezer that I used for my kegerator. He went and got it with her and I was at work, so I couldn't do anything. So I told him I'd make them IPA for him, knowing that he doesn't have anything to keep it fresh. So it's going to be kind of growler at a time or maybe two at a time that he takes and drinks it. And then whenever he's ready, he can come back. But I know he's probably not going to drink all five gallons. So Definitely part of that is yours. Maybe two and a half and two and a half. I can always make another one if it's good. But I didn't actually go off a recipe that time. I just threw something together that I thought sounded good. So hopefully it is actually good. (laughs) Yeah, one of the benefits of having you as one of my friends is you make a lot of beer. So I encourage everyone out there to have a friend who knows how to brew beer. It is the greatest thing ever because I'm currently drinking one of your uh, Amber Surprises right now, which... We'll just leave the title at <laughs> and talk about it there. So. <laughs> All right, let's move on into our Brewers topic for today. We're continuing with the bads uh, as we start this offseason programming here, and I wanted to switch over to starting pitching today. So we know Adrian Hauser was really bad throughout the year, but I feel like we kind of talked about him as the season was going on enough. So I wanted to switch over to the two other bottom feeder starters. And really this year that was Josh Lindblom and Eric Lauer. So we expected them to at least be, you know, serviceable at the fifth man in the rotation, but neither one of them really was. Lindblom got his spot in the lineup skipped a few times. Lauer 
looked good. I think maybe his first outing of the year and then had just a ton of trouble. was ultimately sent down to the alternative trading site and did not play a lot for the Milwaukee Brewers this year. So do you have a preference on who we start with today? Let's start with Lindblom, just because, yes, it was a frustrating year. But to me, I have a little bit more faith that Lindblom can be a solid, if not spectacular, option in that late rotation. I still think he's going to be a player for this team in the upcoming years because I think he can be a solid, you know, if you can get on Craig Council's team, if you can get five to six innings, three earned runs, and this offense is going to turn around. We've talked about it all year. It's not going to be what it was this year. So if you can get five, six innings and three earned runs out of Jocelyn Bloom every fifth day, that's going to be pretty good as a bottom-of-the-rotation level guy. Yeah, and the Brewers signed Lynn Bloom last offseason, so we have him for two more years now. That was a three-year contract he signed. And I, I find it hilarious that the first thing you say is, just give us five to six innings. Like That's what we want out of our bottom-of-the-rotation guys. But for Lindblom, if you take a look at his 10 starts this year, five times he failed to get to the fifth inning. And the deepest he pitched into a game this year was 5.1 innings. So uh, that definitely does not help your point here. And that game where he worked the deepest into was against the Kansas City Royals, which they barely have an offense. So I don't think that really counts. So overall, Lindblom was just really rather unpredictable. And that kind of matches his pitching style. Like he's got six pitches to choose from. I mean, you take a look at his splits. They were fastball 35% of the time, cutter 19, slider 16, and then split finger 10, curve 9, and then change up 9 as well. So that is a true six-pitch pitcher right there. And his velocity ranges anywhere from 90 to the low 70s. So... What did you think of this? Because this was really the first year we got to see Lindblom pitch, because I don't really remember him from the Pirates in 2017. Yeah, I don't remember him that much either. And it was a guy, you know, a lot of people were kind of excited for him coming out of the KBO. I really wasn't all that excited for him. You know, I wasn't expecting him to be as impactful as, you know, Eric Thames, who the Brewers recently got from there. But I did expect him to pitch better, which is definitely a little bit frustrating. And you see a big reason to why he struggled so much was his ERA against left-handed hitters was atrocious. 7.61. And then you look at that against righties, 2.49. If he can just find the middle, like and and be a four ERA, low fours type of ERA, he's gonna be a fine pitcher. You're not paying him to be an ace. You're not expecting that of him. Like I said, if you can just get five innings, three or less earned runs, I think you'll be sitting okay. And actually, I'm looking at your article for reviewing the brew, Tyler, and. One thing that kind of stands out to me is his expected earn run average versus his actual. So his expected is 4.03. So exactly what I said. If, if he's a fifth starter, 4.03, you can do much, much worse than that. And then you look at his actual ERA, which is 5.16. So if he just pitches at where that expected earn run average is, that would be 
great. And then you look also from baseball reference, if you look at his FIP numbers from there, 3.86. So he he pitched better than what that ERA and kind of what his stat line tells us. So there is a little bit of positive things to take out of Lindblom this year, even though it was a pretty frustrating year overall for him. Yeah, it was very frustrating. And I'm glad you mentioned the struggles against lefties because I find it absolutely astounding that he gave up only one extra base hit all year to right-handed batters. But when he switched to the left-hand side of the plate, he gave up all six home runs to lefties, six doubles, and two triples. <laughs> so I was like, holy cow, you know, what are some of the differences here? Like, what's he doing difference left-handed batters versus right-handed batters? And he really just ultimately changed the approach and type of pitches he used. Against righties, he was fastball slider. I mean, he used a fastball 38 and then the slider 34% of the time there. And then when you switch over to lefties, it was a combination of fastball cutter and then both of his changeups. So that fastball is used 35% of the time against lefties, 26% of the time he used the cutter, and then between his two split and normal change, he used another 26% there for changeups. So when I looked at all the uh, kind of like the hot graphs or the heat graphs of it, the biggest thing that really stood out to me was location, especially when pitching to the lefties. A lot of his cutters were hitting the outside part of the plate against lefties, so it's a lot easier for those batters to get the barrel on the ball there, and a lot of them, of course, were left and caught way too much of the plate, so those cutters need to get up a lot closer to their hands. It's a lot harder to get the barrel on the ball in those situations, and then his change-ups, a lot of them, while some of them were down in the zone, they were also primarily in the zone. Again, it's easy for a left-handed batter to drop the barrel of bat when he recognizes the changeup and just just crush it out of there. So I was not a fan, not, not, not that I'm not a fan of the approach he took in terms of his pitch repertoire, it's just more so the location, because even his fastball against both handers, both sides of the plate, he just wasn't getting it high enough. And with that high spin rate, we talked about this last offseason, that ball kind of, it, it sits up there longer. And while with with Lindblom, he doesn't have ex, like you know very high velocity. Pitchers will pick up that spin, and when it sits up there a little bit longer, they can do damage with it. So that's kind of what I saw between the two differences there with a lefty and a righty. Some other things that I thought of with Lindblom here is I think he just kind of become more of a finesse pitcher to find success. I mean, I mentioned his lower velocity already, but then when you take a look at what batters are doing at the plate, I mean, they're not swinging and they're not chasing. So when you have Lindblom, who has all these pitches to choose from, six pitches, he needs to be in control of all of them. And they've mentioned on the broadcast that it kind of varies, you know, how he's feeling each day and whatnot, but he needs to get tuned in. I mean, you need to be around the zone. You can't be missing wildly like it felt like he was during this 2020 season. So for a guy who just barely cracks 90 miles an hour, I mean, we made fun of Zach Davies for very hardly ever cracking that, but at least he could command the ball. So I think for Lindblom to find success next year, he needs to become a lot better at his finesse. I mean, I don't really care about his high spin rate or the movement on his pitches. He just needs to be able to locate it a lot better. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think that's pretty spot on in terms of what he needs to do. And 
it's it's definitely going to be important because you look at the starting rotation, you got the top two you feel pretty comfortable with, with Brandon Woodruff and Corbin Burns. And then you have Adrian Hauser, who we, like Tyler said, we've talked about throughout the season of talking about his struggles and trying to get him back to what we saw, you know, in 2019. And then you have the rest of this starting rotation that is kind of up in the air. And Josh Lindblom, if he can get more control and be very accurate with his pitches, I think he can be a solid pitcher because he can keep hitters way off balance because all the, he has six pitches. So you can, if you can control all of them and be consistently controlling all of them, you can keep hitters way off balance because you know you don't know you have no idea what pitch is coming, especially if he's able to keep that to a point of you know he has six pitches but he really only throws four. No, throw all six of them, and if you can get them accurately, I think that's going to be a big, big boon for this team and Lindblom in particular. Yeah, I certainly agree with what you're saying there. And for a guy we got locked up under contract for another two years, I certainly hope that he can start to show that a lot more in this 2021 season. Otherwise, looking forward to his last year in the contract, I I won't be very excited for any of his starts, uh, much like I wasn't this year. On the flip end of that, I was excited to see Eric Lauer come to the Milwaukee Brewers this year. As a left-handed starter, I mean, his first year in the league with the Padres, he posted a 4-3 ERA, and then in 2019, he posted a 4-4 ERA. So I was like, okay, you know, that's it's not nothing outstanding, but he can be kind of that back-of-the-rotation guy, like we kind of mentioned with Josh Lindblom there. Um, but really did never never found his footing this year in this 2020 season. So, I mean, a large part of it came up into his early blow-up second innings in games. I mean, in his first true start of the year, he gave up six earned runs versus the Reds, and then his next start, Craig Council gave him another shot, gave up five earned runs in the second inning, and that was against the Twins. So of his 16 earned runs this year, 11 of them came in the second inning, which is a 49.5 ERA, (laughs) which is just way too high. Um, But thankfully, I look back in 2018, 2019, second innings were not a problem for Lauer. So I think it was just, you know, something weird that happened this year. Um, But what did you notice out of the few instances where we got to see Lauer this year? You know, you mentioned being excited about him coming into the year. I was a little bit too, I wasn't like, oh, he's going to make a run at Woody for the number one spot. Like, I wasn't expecting that. But I I expected a solid arm in the rotation, and we did not get that this year. And hopefully we can just attribute that to 2020. Because as we mentioned in our last podcast, we were not expecting this terrible of a season from Yelich and Hira. So hopefully that's just something that happened to Lauer, too. It was 2020, and he just struggled because it was 2020. And that's hopefully what I'm going to blame that on. But you look back and actually look at the numbers. Again, that FIP, you look at that for 2020, 6.37. Now that total ERA is 13.09. So there is quite a big difference there, but a FIP of 6.37, that is ugh, that that is not pretty. Um, look back at kind of his numbers in 2018 and 2019 with the Padres. You know, his FIP in 2018, 4.51. In 
ERA was slightly lower than that at 4.34. And then in 2019, 4.23 was the FIP. ERA was slightly higher, 4.45. So that's kind of what you expect. That FIP is not always going to be perfect, but generally that ERA should be kind of close. And over time, it's going to even out. So, you know, maybe next year he kind of pitches to his average in terms of his FIP, you know, somewhere between 4 and 4.5. And then maybe he just gets a little bit more lucky because even with that 6.37, there's still quite a bit of difference to his actual ERA. So hopefully there is some kind of regression to the mean there, and hopefully he just pitches better because if you're – uh, field independent pitching is over six, you know you're not doing something well, and you got to kind of figure that out and get back to what he was doing. Because, again, just like with Lindblom, if you can get him pitching around a four ERA, he's consistently getting you to the fifth. With Craig Council, who doesn't like his starting pitchers going deep into games anyways, that's a win. If, that, if that's your four and five pitchers and you get that type of production out of them, that's a win for your baseball team. And then hopefully Adrian Hauser can come back and be closer to what we saw in 2019. Yeah, like one thing that also stood out to me with Lauer, I mean, you mentioned him, hopefully we're coming back to the mean here. And one thing he's going to have to do next year is he's just going to have to throw more strikes. I mean, it sounds silly, but walks were an issue for him. He averaged uh, 7.4 walks per nine this year. His first pitch strike percentage was... 50, where league average is closer to 60. And then in the strike zone, in terms of total number of strikes thrown, he only threw a strike 41% of the time, where league average there is a little bit closer to 50. So, I mean, he definitely did not find his footing. And kind of like you said earlier, you said you can kind of chalk it up to, to 2020. I mean, he did also have some really weird things stick out um, stat-wise here. Like, he didn't give up a single earned run this year with nobody out but with one out, he had a 9 ERA. And then with two outs, he had a 29.45 ERA. So just inability to get that last out of innings. I mean, when you're falling behind in the count, like I just mentioned with the strikes, that obviously doesn't help. And he, he joined the Brewers in the rotation a little bit late and may have just been pressing, you know, trying to really establish himself, trying to maybe control the corners and be a little bit more cuter with his pitches than what he should have been. And the result was just not throwing as many strikes here. And that leads to all these crazy numbers that we talked about that are that are not good by any means. Is there anything else you want to talk about quickly on Eric Lauer or Josh Lindblom at all? I hope, like we kind of said a couple times already, I hope a lot of this was just having to do with 2020 and, and these players are going to get back to what we kind of expect from them. I don't think Josh Lindblom was that far off of, you know, what we would expect. You know, 5.16, you know, we're expecting about a four. Yeah, that is a little bit of a jump. Um, But also, like I mentioned before, his fit was pretty good at 3.86. That's slightly below his career average of 4.18. So he pitched not terrible. His FIP was, like I said, slightly down from his career average. His whip was slightly down from career average. So I think there's more to 
kind of his 2020 season then meets that, you know, the standard things you look at, the ERA hits, home run, like there's, there's more to his game and how he actually played if you look a little bit deeper into the stats than what that main, you know, that ERA is going to tell you those types of things. You look a little deeper, strikeout per nine is up versus career average, walks are down versus career average, and home runs per nine are basically the same. You know, his career average was 1.1. It's at 1.2 this year. You know, chalk that up to a short, uh, small season, short, kind of small sample size type of thing. Um, so overall, I think Josh Lindblom will be back. And to me, the question mark is, can we get Lauer back to closer to that guy that we saw back with the Padres? Can he be that solid fourth or fifth option, or is he going to be closer to what he was in 2020? I sure hope not. Uh, hopefully he can come back, maybe get to the pitching lab a little bit, figure some stuff out, and hopefully he can be back to, like I said, closer to what he was with the Padres. I'm not expecting a you know, a 2-5 ERA from Eric Lauer or Josh Lindblom for that matter, but if we can get them solid fourth, fifth starters, and we get Adrian Hauser back, Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff continue on their ascent, that's going to be a solid starting rotation, and that's not something we've been able to say in years past. And then with the offense coming back and playing better next year, it, it's going to be a much improved Milwaukee Brewers team in 2021. Yeah, I mean, Lauer, he needs to play better, like you just mentioned, because otherwise it's going to look like David Stearns lost the trade of getting rid of Davies and Grisham in that trade because Urias was meh this year and Lauer was obviously very much down so that I like the point you made about that starting rotation I mean if Hauser can come back up to where he was towards the end of the 2019 season and pitch pretty well I mean then you're happy with a Windbloom and a Lauer who are pitching more towards what we expect them to at the end of the rotation there so I think that will wrap us up here for today We'll be back next week, Monday. I think we're going to take a little look at some free agents that are out there, seeing how the World Series will be beginning here shortly. The Rays already clinched a spot there, so yee for G-Man Choi. And then uh, the Dodgers and Braves are going into Game 7 tonight as we're recording this. So the free agency period officially begins the day after the World Series ends. So that'll be sneaking right up on us, which is why we're going to take a look at that next week. But until next Monday, we will talk to you later, Brewer fans. Fuck the Dodgers and trust in Stearns.